Warning, the episode you are about to listen to most likely contains graphic language, details of violence and murder, and may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. What is up, everybody? Hey, y'all. Welcome to Murder With My Mother, the true crime podcast where I talk murder with my mother, who is sitting beside me. Happy December. Hi, everybody. Happy December. I can't believe it's December. This year has been super weird, but it's flown by, like the weirdness <laughs> And of in it. a way, it hasn't flown by. Yeah, it feels, feels like, like 10 like, years yeah. and one month all in one. It is. It's like 10 years in one year. Yeah. A lot of weird stuff has happened this year. It's a weird year. But a cool thing that came out of it is that we started this cool podcast that we, I get to sit and talk about murders and serial killers with you. So that's cool. That is cool. Been a cool. A cool but fucking weird year. That's Uh what we'll go with. So CBWY, cool but weird year. Yeah, with MNWM, Murder with my mother. (laughs) Well, today we have one case that I actually, for me, I I don't know, I I just feel like everybody knows about this case, but a lot of people, again, do not know about this case. Well, I think a lot of Canadians definitely know about this case since it's a Canadian case. And it's a super, kind of like the Clifford Olsen one, like the whole deal with the devil thing kind of comes up, you know, like making that deal and then later realizing like, oh no. (laughs) yeah what did we do when we made a deal with the most horrible woman probably on the planet yeah yep she's pretty horrible so she the she that we are referring to is the infamous Carla Homolka who was part of the deadly duo uh, husband and wife duo of Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka aka the Ken and Barbie killers because when you see them they actually look like they have a wedding photo and it looks like Ken and Barbie, actually. It does, yeah. And then it's attractive in on the outside, but not so much on the inside. No, no, yeah, you're definitely about to see a not so internally attractive couple do a lot of carnage. Like it's just a it's it's a kind of a double ended fucked up story. Yeah. So uh here's that case for you guys. We hope you enjoy. So there's a lake in Ontario called Lake Gibson, and on the 29th of June, 1991, there was a fisherman and his wife were canoeing, and they the, the water level in the lake had suddenly gone down because it was summer, and all of a sudden they came upon some blocks which looked like concrete, and they had some weird material in them that appeared to be body parts. I wonder if they knew that from looking far away, if it was visible as to what it actually was. Uh, It was visible, but the husband just kind of played it off because his wife was with him. And he went back later on with a friend to check it out further. Oh, so they didn't even get it right away. No, so when he went back, he could see that the um, block that he was looking at was actually the foot and the calf of a young person. That's ridiculous. Every, like I said, every story that we tell, it's like the discovery of body parts and the activities that those people are doing, you know, setting out at a nice, you know, yeah. day with your, with your wife, with your wife on a canoe, yeah, right? That's a romantic day that turns into a horror a show. A cinder when... block of body parts, essentially, right? That's... Well, and 
the concrete was not set properly so it was kind of like falling off the body parts so probably if it had been set properly it maybe wouldn't have been as recognizable but it was not because whoever had done it had done it in haste and not waited for the concrete to harden properly Two weeks earlier, 14-year-old Leslie Mahaffey had gone missing from her home in Burlington, Ontario. She'd been at a funeral for a friend of hers that had died in a car accident suddenly, and she had forgotten to bring her house key with her, and she also missed curfew. Yeah, so her parents tried to, I think, what had happened is they tried to prove a point. Like, yeah. if you're not going to make it for your curfew... I then mean, you're going to be locked out of the house. Especially and if your kid's out celebrating... I mean, not celebrating, but mourning a friend's death. You think you would be a little... Out. I'm assuming that it's probably not the first time that this had happened. That she... No, she was... A, apparently, she was out probably was out... Had a lot of Missing friends. her curfew yeah. all the time. Yeah, Having especially to, at 14. That's when yeah. you're just pushing boundaries that you never pushed yet. yet. You know, you're bad to the bone. I 14 was, was my worst, my oh, worst mine age. Too. Remember my house wrecker at 14? Yeah. That someone that gave birth to me came home to oh, the next day. I never knew about that. Yeah. <laughs> so she walked to a payphone and asked a friend if she could sleep over. And for some reason, her friend said no. So she went nice. to walk back home. I'm and sure. And honestly, yeah. Imagine the guilt that these people have now, like even the parents not opening the door. Actually, I heard that normally she would knock, but I think what I thought is she probably pushed her curfew one so many times and probably just got talked to the day before or something like, don't miss your curfew again, because she didn't even apparently try to knock or ring the doorbell. She no, just knew what like, she oh, went back home after she called her friend and that was her plan mm -hmm. apparently was to go knock on the door, but she was never seen again until... The body parts were found, and it was quickly realized that it was her 14-year-old Leslie Mahaffey. Yeah, I, rem I remember hearing that her braces were found, and that's kind of how they knew originally that that's, where, that's who the body was. I mean, and if a girl's missing, a young girl's missing, and she had been missing at that time for, I think, what, two, two weeks? weeks? Yeah. yeah. So Yeah, the braces were the giveaway. Yeah, which is so sad, because you see that picture of her oh. with her big braces all happy, you know, like that yeah. awkward smile and... So, June 29th was a very different day for a stunning young couple. Oh. They were celebrating their fairy tale wedding that day. And it actually looked like a fairy tale, but really think about exactly what's happening on the 29th of June and what's happening with this couple who yep. is Car the reason. Carla Homolka and Paul Bernardo were celebrating their wedding day the same day that the body was found not that far away in Lake Gibson. And normally this would be a horrible thing to read, you know, after you're married, go read the newspaper. Oh no, you know, there was a horrible yet. discovery on our wedding day, but they actually had a little bit more to do with it and a little more knowledge, obviously, about what had happened. And no one, I'm sure, out of the hundred guests that were attending their beautiful fairy tale wedding would have ever guessed that these two were responsible for this act of carnage. So Carla was 21 and Paul was 26, and everyone thought they were the dream couple. They, by all accounts, looked good. They both had good jobs. They were friendly, outgoing. Yeah, and Carla came from a really nice family, like a really good family. She was the oldest of three girls, and her parents were still married. Yeah. So, I mean, which is rare, is a rare instance in these days. 
She was said to be quite a popular girl, very nice, outgoing. She was bright. Yeah. She was friendly. They call her the all-Canadian small-town girl. Like, that's pretty much what they all emulate. And I know it was said in her teens, I think she kind of dabbled with, like, the Ouija board, and she was kind of goth for a while Yeah, she was kind of emo, and she also... One of her old school friends said that she had once um, dug up a pet that had been deceased and buried in her backyard because she wanted to see what it looked like decomposing. Oh, nice. I've, I've never had the urge. No, no, me neither. That's probably a red flag, though, because obviously what comes, Any a lot of people of, didn't yeah. see. Well, there's always those two. When someone has that side of them, again, like I've said before, Ted Bundy, like a Kate Clifford Olsen, you knew, like you when you knew looking at him, then probably or something. He was just a weird guy. But I mean, looking at someone like this, where they can compartmentalize and have two totally different, and not just one person, two people, and they find each other and they get married. Yeah, how crazy is that? Well, and she um, got a job at a vet clinic, so that's ironic too. Like after wanting to dig up her deceased pet. No, she clearly had, maybe that was even the the reason she got a job at a, as a vet. You know, you do see a lot of death and a lot of dead animals while you work in a place Yeah, like true that. enough. True enough. I never thought of that. So um, at one point she was at a vet conference in Toronto. In her PJs. In, in her PJs. Lobby, right? <laughs> having coffee in the lobby and the man of her dreams walked into the lobby and started teasing her about being at a restaurant in her pajamas and introduced himself as 23-year-old Paul Bernardo. So he was a junior uh, chartered accountant at this time, right? So like, yeah. what a job. Like, usually accountants are, I mean, no offense to anyone that's an accountant, but it does usually have a certain personality that in that goes into being an accountant. You yeah. Know, you're kind of withdrawn, you're more an introvert, and he was really... Yeah, he was super extroverted. So to even go up to a girl... You all know that kind of guy, right? The guys, I've been somewhere where you look like like I was in pajamas. <laughs> and yeah. someone comes up to you and starts hitting on you. I mean, it takes a certain kind of confidence to approach a, a woman that's sitting in, her pajamas. sitting in her pajamas. I mean, no, but you know what I mean? And yeah. to still be like, oh. Well, she was only 17 at the time and he was 23. And they had an electric connection and ended up. Uh, screwing each other. Oh, God. <laughs> they ended up in bed together the very first night. I just thought I'd say that. Yeah, to get a nice reaction. And yes, this is a podcast <laughs> I'm doing with my mother who says screwing. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, they know they consummated their lust for each other that same night the that they met. The very first night, yes. Yeah. And then, <laughs> just kidding, we're a non judgmental <sighs> duo. Anyway, so so on to a little bit of background about Paul Bernardo. He lived with his mother and father and two siblings in Scarborough. And his mother, Marilyn, and his father, Kenneth. And Kenneth was also an accountant. But and, Kenneth was also a peeping Tom. Well, it started out actually... Peeping Kenneth. Kenneth. Kenneth was very abusive to Marilyn. And his father before him had apparently been really abusive to his wife. So he started to be abusive to Marilyn. And Marilyn got sick of his shit and had an affair after her second child. And she got pregnant with her third child through the affair. And the third child was Paul. So she Paul was born out of an affair which he had no idea about until 
he was 16 years old. Kenneth was carrying on, like Danica said, he was a peeping Tom, looking in the neighborhood women's windows, spying on them. And then he was uh, convicted on molesting a child. And then if that wasn't enough, he actually molested Paul's sister, who was his own daughter. So Marilyn couldn't deal with this anymore. And she turned into a life of depression and ended up becoming morbidly obese and moving down into the basement as a recluse, basically. Yeah, and after she was honest with him about who his dad was, I, it wasn't done in an, in a nice way. I mean, that conversation's probably hard to have in the first place, but it wasn't done in like a, you know, this is your actually your real father or this is, you know, how you were conceived. It was like... Blurted out in the middle of a fight. In the middle of a fight, yeah. like as a spiteful, like you bastard, like basically saying you were a mistake. Yeah. So that's going to fuck with you no matter how old. And especially at 16, think about that. You just, you're in the prime of like your pre, your puberty. And, and you're you know, discovering yourself. Yeah. And you feel probably pretty awkward already. And there's a lot of shit going on at that age. And then to find out that who you thought is your father, who he actually, it says that he hated his gut. Well, he ended up hating both of them, actually, especially after this. It was a pretty dysfunctional life with both of them. It seems like they were all kind of abusive to each other because after that, Paul became very abusive to his mom. He'd call her, uh, you fat slob and you whore and all this other stuff, which she was used to being abused by her husband and she took it. Well, and to a point, she probably felt, maybe she felt guilty and kind of would just sit there and take it because of how she told him or how she, I mean, and I think as a mother, you would have, because he was, we're about to get into it. He was doing some, doing some messed up shit. But I mean, as a mother, I wonder if you would know that that was going on. It seemed to me like she kind of knew everything that was going on with her husband, but what kind of denial must you be in to let your husband right well yeah you're letting your husband have sex with your daughter yeah no that so that's fucked up and then she probably knew what paula was up to and just didn't well i wonder if she even was on her radar if if she was so used to her husband doing stuff like that right and so the thing that paul was doing that we speak of is at 16 he became a peeping tom he followed in his stepfather's footsteps his non-bio father's footsteps and he started peeping around the neighborhood he was actually yeah, a voyeurism is yeah. what they call it, right? So a peeping Tom. I don't know. Some people get a rush from spying on people or from... But it always usually escalates. Like, it, it never just stays there. It always goes from, okay, they're watching. Okay, now they're stealing. Now they're yeah. raping. Now they're killing. Usually that's how it goes. Well, and in this case, he was getting not getting a rush anymore from just watching by about Mm -hmm. 1987 he started to follow women home from the bus stop and he would usually attack them from behind so no one saw his face and he would rape them in their own yards like at their own Mm -hmm. house but just threaten them and they were so scared that they would just allow him but the weird thing is is a lot of sexual assaults happen really quickly uh he would assault people for like oh he would take their time his time yeah. and after like an hour 45 yeah. minutes and or... think of how ballsy that is because most of these the first two i know at least were committed on their own property yeah most and, of them were yeah and their all their families were inside they were yeah. young girls right and i read also when we were doing the research that 
he, after raping them, with some of them, he would he would collect stones and sticks and stuff, yeah. and he would insert them into their vaginas after they had already been just you're okay you're sexually assaulted by a stranger from behind and then he's gonna put sticks and stones and objects inside of you so if you didn't feel violated with the sexual assault you're being reassaulted and sometimes he would actually leave and just go around the corner and once they would gather the the courage to stand up he'd jump around and be like ha ha like it's me again like could you come back and assault them again and, and sexually assault them again because the fear, right? So, yeah. so now this man's known because it was it was quite close together. They were close in location and they were close in area and in date, like time. So, from May to December of '87, there were six rapes. From April to May, there were three. October to December, there were four. June '89 to May '90, there were five. Um, so his violence was increasing each time he went and raped somebody. So he was like beating the shit out of them at this point. Yeah, like it was definitely go- like it was escalating every time. You would get more and more violent. <clears throat> yeah, and the police knew like there was a profiler that was watching that the problem was they couldn't get no one got to look at him for a while yeah because he always attacked from the back yeah and so the profiler said we really got to catch this guy because he's going to escalate to murder Mm -hmm. well that's the thing like i said and i know that just from watching so much true crime stuff so if you were a well-brained professional in the fbi that's taught to look for things like that and you're like oh wow we got to catch this guy because he's gonna he's gonna murder he's gonna kill somebody and that's exactly what happened yeah so when he first started the raping he was dating still like regular girls but he was getting really um sexually sadistic with his girlfriends yeah and, and he was beating would, them up yeah, but he, they wouldn't stick around no right? they would leave until he met carla and she liked it yeah clearly that was her yeah. because that's what i mean you don't just that's not something you just bam you're into that no yeah. that's something that had to be sitting and kind of waiting for it to be awoken by somebody else. Or a, a you deviant know. met a deviant. Yeah. Basically. What happened is his 18th attack, he got a little ballsier. And he honestly, he just dropped all, he, he dropped his mo- his tactic, I guess. He attacked that victim from the front. And that victim got a look at him. And it was in 1990. And a composite sketch was developed. The police had got a tip that... Oh, this guy here, Paul Bernardo, looks like... Well, if you look at him, and that's, again, they're the Ken and Barbie killers. And not because they look like, almost like, they're so good-looking that they must be... It's like fairy tale, right? So it's to look at him. It's not like... That's not a face you see often. And if you saw a sketch... And you know Paul Bernardo. Well, and because he had been caught in his own neighborhood peeping, mm-hmm. some he people had, had, yeah, like some kids weren't even allowed to play with him when he was a little kid because they knew that he, he was a weirdo. Yeah, that he was a weirdo, yeah. for sure. Well, and imagine like the whole Bernardo family was obviously known like that because the father was like that too. I mean, not his biological father, but to the outside community, that's who his father was. Yeah. It wouldn't be hard to be like, oh, those weird Bernardos, there they go. I mean, Gilbert Grape's mom lives in the basement. Yeah, please. <laughs> so he was called in for an interview over that uh, sketch, and he came in all confident. Cool and collected. Yeah, in a suit, his work from his work clothes. Uh, he agreed right away to give a DNA sample. And we have to realize, too, like, this was the birth of DNA. So mm-hmm. it 
I don't even think they knew what to really do with DNA. No, they took it. And then I think they took a hair sample Mm -hmm. and whatever. And they left it on the shelf uh, for two years. Yeah, they just didn't even test it. But you know what? Part of that is because if you can work somebody so well that these these are trained detectives. Yeah, they didn't they didn't really have a gut that it was him. They really thought it wasn't him because he was such a well put together young man. Yeah, he's a smooth talker and the detective even said, you know, are you currently dating? And he's like, Yeah, actually I have a very serious girlfriend. Her name's Carla, yeah. Malka, and it's like now the detective, like thinking of now how infamous that name is, Carla Homolka and Paul Bernardo, like now knowing. And so you can see through all the interviews I watched, a lot of guilt that comes, you can see it on that man's face. Yeah. The detective, right? Because he had absolutely no inclination that that he was, other than the, the you know, sketch looking like him. There was no nothing else. No one did. I mean, Carla's whole family adored Paul. They loved him. They thought he was like the mm-hmm. nicest person. Yeah. And, and he was always coming over to their house and staying there. Yeah. And he worked the family. And, and yeah, the family did love him. But he may have liked one of the family members a little more than the rest. And I'm not even talking about Carla. So at this time, she had a 15-year-old little sister named Tammy. And because Carla, when she met Paul, she wasn't a virgin. But um, so she had been with other men before Paul. So Paul at this time, I mean, okay, I'm sorry. Somebody come up and said this to you. Like, I want your little sister's virginity. Yeah, he had a thing for virgins. Yeah, which is probably why he raped really young girls. Because majority of them, he was probably hoping that they were virgins. And he would say stuff to them when he raped them too. Like, tell me I'm better than your boyfriend. And like stuff like that where it was like, so degrade stuff that was so degrading yeah he has some deep-seated stuff there yeah sure well yeah so anyway to even bring that up there's two sides to it so i've heard that she it was her idea and she actually wanted to give it to him for christmas she wanted to give tammy's virginity virginity to him as a christmas gift she had a weird dynamic going on with Tammy, though, because Tammy looked a lot like her. Like, if you look at the pictures, they yeah. could have been twins. But Tammy was younger and obviously more innocent because she was only 15. Yeah. And, and I, I read also that they would do role play. And yeah. And she would pretend to be Tammy. Yeah. So they they would... Uh, well, they she had said, yeah, like, no, so she everyone would catch that. She would pretend to be Tammy... She would say things like, oh, I'm Tammy, I'm a virgin, I love you, Paul, I want to marry you, and and stuff like that. Like, I think they even had, had that recorded eventually. Nice. So, Paul would do things to kind of make her jealous, too. Like, one time he took Tammy across to the States to go buy beer for a party and then told Carla, oh, we got drunk and made out, and stuff like that. So, I think Tammy probably had a bit of a crush on Paul also. Well, yeah, he's your sister's and hot, he's hot, older yeah. fiancé, right? So, yeah, yeah and, and then, so they, they got engaged. So, they were together, they got engaged, and four days after Christmas on the, yes, 29th, the 29th of December... And that's when they were going to go through with the plan that they have basically developed of the scheme to take Tammy's virginity. So Carla was working at the vet office. So she stole halothane from the vet and they used some Valium and put it into some drinks. And they basically were saying like, hey, Tammy, come have some drinks with us. And so they laced her drink, hoping that she would pass out. So she passed out. Carla was holding the rag on her face. While Paul sexually assaulted her, then he said 
okay, it's your turn now. And she didn't need to be asked twice. She jumped right in there and started sexually assaulting her own baby sister. And it was all on film. And then that's when she started vomiting and choking on her own vomit. And Carla uh, tipped her upside down because she thought that would work. But it didn't work and she died. What happened was they cleaned her up and after they realized that she was dead. They dressed her. They dressed her. They cleaned her up. But she had from what they assumed was the halothane because she was holding the rag of halothane over her sister's face. She had these burns on the left side of her face that looked almost like, like they looked like acid burns, they like did, yeah. some kind of chemical burn. But what they had told the paramedics, because the paramedics arrived and the cause of death was ruled a natural cause because it was choking, like asphyxiating on your own vomit. And that is really how she died. So they were able to sell the story like you know we were drinking alcohol we were having drinks and she overdid it and she didn't wake up when she threw up and yeah. she died and she fell because she was so drunk and that's how she cut her face they and said it was rug burn from them trying to resuscitate her yeah and, and so, the cops it didn't even look like rug burn but no it wasn't investigated see, yeah you can see if you google tammy hamulka's autopsy photo you can see very clearly to the left of her face and down below that there are all of these burns. And again, obviously they're not thinking that people are going to rape and kill their own sister. sister. Exactly. Right. Four days after Christmas. Yeah. And actually their wedding date was set for what, six months down the road. Yeah. So every, the whole family was very upset that Tammy died, obviously, but Carla had told a friend Oh, I wish they'd just get over it already. My wedding. Like, she was just obsessed with her wedding. Well, and how selfish is that to know that you actually are the reason your sister's dead? You did it. It was a really fucked up way you killed her. And then you're going to be like, oh, just get over her death already. Like, yeah, I know they... Yeah, like, my wedding's coming. My wedding. But I know, obviously, at the time, the family didn't know that, but... You, just to even have a wedding, like if if God forbid something happened to one of my siblings and that happened and my wedding was six months away, I would probably reschedule. Uh, yeah, totally. <laughs> I don't know. That's just me, though. So. So. And my mom, I guess. So. so then the family didn't want Paul in the house while they were grieving. So they asked him to move out. They liked him, but they were just going through so much, not even concentrating on Carla's wedding either. So they moved out and they got a they, they got a little rancher house, basically, a little bungalow style house. Yeah, in together. like a cute little neighborhood. Yeah. It wouldn't be cute because of all the shit they would do there later. A death house, but so then um, so then that brings us up to where we started off. June fifteenth, Paul Bernardo woke up Carla in the middle of the night and said that he had a surprise for her. So she got out of bed and went into the living room and there was a naked teenage girl in the living room that had a blindfold on and he was saying she was a sex slave that he had abducted for both of them but carla was really enraged and not because there was a naked girl blindfolded and tied up in her living room but because she saw that paul had used their wedding glasses their future their champagne, glasses. their champagne glasses for their future wedding. So she went back to bed. <laughs> she was pissed. So the next day, while he, 
repeatedly sexually assaulted Leslie all day. She cleaned the house, she went and walked the dog, and then later on, finally, she gave in and helped him to sexually assault Leslie. She was right in there with him sexually assaulting Leslie, and after that, they don't know, nobody has the same story about how Leslie died. She said that Paul strangled her with an electrical cord, and he says that he went out to get gas and when he got home, Leslie was dead. So that's the one part of the story that no one's ever gotten a straight answer on. Well, because both of them obviously want to do things to make themselves get which less I time. Well, yeah, too. but I don't really know if it's, I don't know, because really later, who is the more evil one? I mean, for me, obviously, yes, Paul Bernardo was doing, was committing sexual assaults was, and they were horrific sexual assaults. But would he have escalated to murder without Carla? I think well, so. Well, he never had before, and that's one of the no. points that he brought up. Well, and that's the thing. But again, looking at this happening before and looking at other times that people have perpetrated those kinds of crimes and then later gone on to, if not kill, you know, really, really injure people to almost killing them. Yeah. Right. But with Carla, it's like, would she have done that if if she hadn't met him? Yeah, I, I don't know. That's so that's where it's. Yeah, there's a lot of arguments to be made for both sides. Well, that's the thing. So was because for me, as you can see, obviously for him, he was enjoying having that sexual. Well, what did he call her? A slave. Right. Having Leslie Mahaffey there as her as his prisoner, which that was what got him off. Yeah. But with her, you could see already the, the, the wine glasses or the champagne glasses. If that's something that's going to tick you off and you look at the rest of the events that are actually taking place currently, that's not the thing that you should be concerned with. No, that's psychopathy. Yeah. Really. So to, to me, to say that when he went out to get gas and she really did kill her, that's not so far off for me. No, me neither. Like, at all. No, like, I think that's almost more... I think that he was into the sexual part and the deviancy, and he was obviously really fucked up. But I think that she is the one that got off on murder and death because you can even see before him, she was really interested in in death, death and, yeah. and, and decay and stuff like that. So then they, her family was coming over for dinner that night, and they had this young girl's dead body at the house. So... They just moved the dead body and put Leslie down in the basement and they had their fr- their family over and entertained like it was no big deal. Yeah, and Carla would go like up and down like to go get stuff and come back up and be yeah. totally unfazed. So obviously nobody knew there was a dead body in the basement because they couldn't see it on any of their faces. They're probably happy, smiling, like... Yep. <laughs> Even when you hear her talk about it in interviews, it's like, she's just telling the story, like, she's telling the story about going for a bike ride. Like, it's not any kind of, there's no emotion in any of her interviews at all. Mm -hmm. So then the next day, Paul used his grandpa's saw that he had and dismembered Leslie Mahaffey's body and went out and bought a dozen bags of concrete. And like we know, yeah, put her body parts all in the concrete and, and he didn't wait saved, for it to set. He saved the receipt because that's how that little sick part of him. Mm-hmm. So he saved the receipt just as a uh, souvenir. Well, again, that's what gets them off, right? Is little things like that that like nobody else would ever think of 
or no, yeah, the you know, there's a little wallet, a uh, receipt in my wallet. But yeah. like, you know, just having that. Creepy. Yeah. So in the meantime, a couple weeks later, uh, Carla went out with a teenage girl that she had worked at the vet clinic with. They went out for drinks. And as a surprise to Paul, when they got home from being out at the pub or club or wherever they were, she drugged the girl into like put put the Valium in her in her mm-hmm. drinks her, and called yeah. she she's known as Jane Doe. She's never been um, formally introduced to the public. So she drugged the girl and she called Paul and said, "I have a surprise for you at home." And Paul rushed home and. They made a video of him and her both sexually assaulting Carla's friend from work, Jane Doe. And Jane Doe the next morning woke up and felt really hungover and thought she just drunk too much. And she actually never did know what happened to her until later when the video was found. That's so crazy. So horrible. Imagine. Almost better, though, because you don't know you've been a victim. I mean, not that it's better, but for you, she didn't have that same traumatic experience until she knew about it i just can't imagine like finding that out later when this all came came to this sensational case well let's think even because the tammy thing right now that's just that she choked on her own vomit and she died yeah nothing is exposed yet no nothing they have no idea they're still just this nice beautiful ken and barbie that just got married and now this brings two weeks before yeah this brings us to april 16th of 1992 Paul said I would like to go get another sex slave so they just were like okay yeah let's go and they got in the car and went out it's like if you ask let's go for like I want to go for pizza tonight oh my god I want ice cream oh my god I want a sex slave let's go get one like that was crazy to me and it didn't take them long they saw um 15 year old Kristen French walking home from school and she was a pretty girl, long dark hair. She was pretty athletic. And because Carla was just a regular, they were both regular looking, but Carla got out of the car and had a map in her hand and pretended to ask her for directions. Well, she actually stayed in the car and showed her the map. Oh, and Paul okay. went around the car and pushed her in. Carla grabbed her arm and pulled her into the car, and Paul was behind her and got out and pushed her in. Jeepers Christ. And yeah, like you said, it's like, you know, a nice little, she was what at this time, 21? I think she was, yeah, like 22 or 23, I think. Yeah. Well, she was, if you think when this started, she was 17 when she met him. So yeah, she couldn't have been that old. No. That's more trusting. And especially as another young female, I know for myself, at least I am, I always, I do feel a little safer when it's a younger female, if that that was not you know, anymore. No, now it's like, phew, I remember <laughs> yeah. nobody. Fuck you, bitch, find yeah. your directions. <laughs> but yeah, so imagine. So obviously nobody was around and she went missing. And that was Easter weekend. And Carla gives an interview where she talks about it later and she says, I didn't want to leave this girl. Paul wanted to keep her alive for longer because they sexually assaulted her for three days. Mm-hmm. They tortured her. They shaved off her hair. And then they made her eat it. They forced her to eat her own hair because it was found in her stomach later. But he wanted to keep her alive for longer, like keep her as a sex slave. And Carla said, I didn't want her alive. We had to go to my parents for dinner. What if she escaped? Well, and that's the thing too, again, is it because what if she escaped? Or is it because Carla likes death? 
Well, Carla likes death, and Carla doesn't want anybody touching on her man. Yeah. Especially sure. if he wants to be... Think about it. She, He has a thing for young girls, yeah. for virginities that he just took. He just, you know, stole this girl's virginity. And you think Carla's probably... That's like a, you know... She's it's a threatening... Exactly. Yeah. She doesn't want this young girl in her house because... Not because she's worried she's going to escape, because she's worried that Paul's going to like her better. Yeah, it's true. And then uh, on April 30th, they found Kristen French's body in a ditch, and it was only 500 meters away from the grave of Leslie Mahaffey. And for me, that makes me think that they were either sending a message to authorities to be like, this is definitely related, and kind of playing a game and toying with them. Well, everyone had actually, um, forgot to say this earlier, but everyone had put two and two together that they were related when Kristen was missing. Well, that was the general consensus because it was a pretty well, weird yeah, a thing to happen town. two times in a row. Like it was and almost all, yeah. a year apart, but they figured out that it was related to each other. And then that just solidified it. Once the body was found in that same place, then it was like, yep, this mm-hmm. is related. So people had seen the abduction of Kristen French. So they had seen her. They didn't see the abduction, but they saw her in a church parking lot with this couple. And so the couple, the only thing that the people got wrong that had seen her talking to the couple was they thought it was a Camaro that they were driving, but it was actually a Nissan. But so, it was like a nice sports car. Yeah. So, so then along the way... They had another rendezvous with Jane Doe. And terribly, the same thing that happened to Tammy almost happened to Jane Doe because Carla brought the halothane out again that night so they could get some longer time with her uh, passed out. And she also stopped breathing and started vomiting and choking on her vomit. So they called 911. Carla called 911. But then Jane Doe started breathing again. So they called and canceled 911. And 911 just, just canceled. canceled yeah. And they didn't, nobody double well, again, checked or thought anything of well, it. Well, it was the 90s because I know now if you call, I think one, one time my son dialed 911 on my phone and yeah. the police will not leave until they do a welfare check and check if everything's okay. Because now I'm sure by the 90s they've clued in, okay, if someone's mm-hmm. calling 911 and they cancel, it is either A, an accident, B, these people got like disconnected because yeah. they're in a really in big trouble or see that something crazy is going on like this situation. Something's trying to be hid from the authorities. Yeah. And like if they would have just double checked on this, maybe they wouldn't have even noticed too because it was really innocuous. It's not like anyone would even suspect they were doing the stuff they were doing. Like it was no, horrible stuff. No. And even the girl, she would even... I mean, she probably would have clued in if something would have happened and think, okay, wow, last time I got this drunk, this time I got this, yeah. you know, like. But she was young, so. Exactly, naive, young right? and naive, yeah. And who thinks that your coworker is doing that? Well, you obviously wouldn't with go for a second date no. with the girl for a girl's night again once if you knew what had happened the first time. No. That's for damn sure. But that's what, you know, like I've been out my, with coworkers and some coworkers where you just are getting to know them and you go out with them and you don't know them very well. And then you would yeah, but they put this in your wildest dreams, you know? Like, that is crazy. So after that happened, uh, Paul and Carla started to not get along at all. So he started becoming more and more abusive. At one point, he hit her so hard repeatedly in the back of the head with a flashlight that it caused 
both of her eyes to go completely black from her brain hitting the inside of her skull. Yeah, it looks like when people get a nose job, but yeah. times like 10. Yeah, like, it's really it's bad. literally It's literally raccoon eyes. It's like... Like bra- a black mask. It is. It's black from her... Like, uh, from her eyebrow bone, all the, like, her whole eye socket. You can look it up. You yeah. can look, Google. You can look everything up. And Carla Homolka, that's a very infamous picture because of what she claimed after as to why she participated in the murders. That she was being abused. And he actually did, also, he broke her hip. So he was very abusive with her, but that is not the reason she participated in what she participated in no in she was a willing participant yes. for sure so she ended up leaving him and going to live with a family member and filing for divorce in the meantime the police got another tip they were um, trying to find out who the killers or the abductors were of leslie mahaffey and Kristen french and there was an anonymous tip called in on paul bernardo which, for me, always... Anonymous tips are weird, because it's like, was it Carla? Yeah. Couldn't was well it... Be. She was that psycho. Well, but at the same time, would it have been her? Because would she want to draw attention to what had happened? Because she was so involved? Well, in the mind of a psychopath, who really knows what's going well, on? Well, and what she goes with, that story, I yeah. mean, it is. it could be believable if you didn't know what kind of a person she was. Really, no. He went into the police station for his interview, and he immediately said to the police, Oh, I was actually a suspect in the Scarborough rape case. But I got let go. I never let go. Yeah. And so they interviewed him. He was still very well put together and seemed fine to him. Mm -hmm. So he left. And when he told the police that, they contacted the detective in charge of the Scarborough rapist case and asked the question about Paul Bernardo. Like, do you, did you guys clear him? What happened? It took eight days for one of those cops to call the other cops back. And they said, uh, actually, we haven't even gotten his DNA results back. So he's not cleared. But to not to have a sample there, how lucky that they didn't get rid of it. Totally. Because that sample would definitely come in handy when they were going to now use the DNA that they had already so they wouldn't have to go out of their way to get a warrant or to do any of that stuff to test it against the DNA that they now had for Leslie Mahaffey and Kristen French. French. But you guys are going to have to wait for two more weeks to the conclusion to this episode. This is a wild case. Like, what is now about to happen? It's like, again, Canada, what are you doing? Yeah. You know? This will all come together and we'll explain it. I mean, the facts will speak for themselves, but there's still too much left for us to roll it into one episode. So we are going to come back and bring you part two of this case on the 17th of December. Yeah, there's still a lot to cover. So we hope to see you guys. Well, And I say that every time. We hope for you guys to hear us in two weeks because we don't see you but i think for the next episode you might get to see us so yeah we're thinking about uh maybe filming ourselves as we record yeah let us know what you guys think would you like to see that or yeah Yeah. (laughs) we're pretty uh i know my well i get my all my mannerisms from you so (laughs) but we're both pretty uh animated I guess yeah but yeah so maybe next 
in the two weeks you guys will uh, get to see us. Yeah. Or maybe not. Maybe. You may just change your mind. <laughs> Unless we have like a big zit third eye or something. No, I mean, even then, you're yeah. getting it. Oh. Okay. Well, till next time, everybody, come back to listen to me talk murder with my mother. Bye, guys. Bye.